But I wanted to do her stuff for my friend. Well, you're sorry, husband. It doesn't matter what your name is. We've got another trade. Cam Reddish and Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill, you know, you know that brother that looks like he sleeps under a freeway, has been sent to the New York Knicks for Kevin Knox in a first round pick. Nick fans are hyped, man. And I could see why, right? You get Cam for next to nothing, right? And I mean, I, I won't say that. I won't say that because that pick, could it end up in the lottery? It very well could, right? If you don't win your play-in game, I believe you're still in the lottery. So I won't say it's not for nothing, but Cam Reddish for maybe a lottery pick, essentially. Granted, Kevin Knox is the same archetype as Cam Reddish, right? And didn't he go to Kentucky? All right, so Kentucky, Duke. But yeah, the Knicks more so and their fan base are hyped because they are under the impression that they have two of the big three from Duke. Well, not under the impression. They've got two of the big three, but they're under the impression that they're going to get Zion. That's the next chip. Reuniting R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Zion Williams. I don't know about all that, but, uh, you know, I guess my initial takeaway is, is there something about Cam Reddish that we don't know? Because that seems like not enough. It seems like not enough. I guess the context is that the rest of the league understood that they weren't going to pay him. Right. You know, so I guess there's that element of it, but it felt like they should have got more of something in return as in the sense of the player. Now, Kevin Knox is still young. And again, and like I said, he is the same type of player, but he hasn't shown nearly as much as Cam has in his time in the league. In fact, he can't even really get on the floor unless they're undermanned. So I just thought, yeah, OK, fine. A first round pick. And I thought it would be a more proven young player or a young player with that has shown more potential than Knox has. So interesting move there. And yeah, New York, man, I mean, you should be excited. Again, I think it's a good move for the Knicks. Let's say it ends up being the 12th pick. Cam Reddish at the 12th pick. I think that's a, I think that's a good move. Now, have you heard this story? Kyrie will be able to play home games if the Nets pay a small fine. That's how the world works. You got to pay to play. Whether it's a degree, some bullshit certificate, or simply a handshake relationship, that's how the world works, right? I think the irony is Kyrie thought he was going to be the symbol of standing up against the man, and it ends up he's just going to be the symbol of the rich get treated differently, right? <laughs> man, um... So big game Wednesday night, Bulls, Nets, the two teams that sit atop the Eastern Conference. 30 seconds into the game, Derek Jones Jr. comes down and hyperextends his knee on the landing bad. He's rolling around on the ground in the fetal position. And this fool, Zach Levine, now I didn't have the greatest camera angle, but it looked like to me he was just standing over him and not even looking at him. Like Levine was standing next to him, but wasn't acknowledging him. It was kind of wild. It clearly looks like it's a, you know, fingers crossed, hyperextensions can be 
more scary than damaging because that feeling of the buckle. But he had to be helped off the court. It's a, it's a, it looks like a serious injury, man. So purrs out to Jones Jr. That wasn't the way you wanted to start the game. The Bulls already undermanned with uh, no Caruso, no Patrick Williams, obviously gone for the season. But in this NBA, you know, you always hear that cliche, well, no one's going to feel sorry for you, especially these days, especially in 2022. You know what was crazy was the pop that Io gets when he checks in. I get it. He's a local product, right? But I mean, I thought I thought Mike had sat down courtside the way the crowd cheered when Io checked into the game. That was kind of wild. Do you think Kai dyes that little bit of gray on the top of his head just to appear wiser? Just sprinkle a little little gray so he looks wiser? <laughs> nah, man. <laughs> nah, it looks kind of dope. It looks kind of dope on him. No hate. Um, but, you know, the Nets are weird because I thought the Bulls came out playing better. But the Nets, and you see this trend with super talented teams, they have the ability to be being outplayed. And then you look up and you're like, well, they have the lead, right? Because, you know, about a quarter and a half into this game, it just felt like, all right, the Bulls seem to be playing better. And then you look up and you're like, wait, no, Brooklyn is up. I love seeing DeMar's family courtside, black excellence. We need to see more of that. And then his mic'd up was hilarious, too. DeMar's mic'd up. I mean, that motherfucker didn't say shit. A couple of grunts. I liked it. He wasn't putting on for no mic. You know, one thing watching his game, though, let me ask you this. Like, when you watch DeMar's game, what happens if you don't let him walk you down to that foul line? I know that's easier said than done, but too often I see defenses and defenders just concede that space on the floor to DeMar. They don't even make him work to get there. He just walks him down to his spot. Once he's there, now you're kind of at his mercy. My game plan against DeMar would be like, I'm not letting him walk me down to that foul line. I'm putting ball pressure on him and stabbing at the ball. But, uh, you know, Brooklyn ain't too worried about defense when you got all those offensive weapons. But I'm watching Kai, who actually struggled in this game. I think he was like 2-9 or, or something like that. And I think the one hole in his game offensively is he doesn't really get to the line in part because he creates so much separation. He doesn't have to. You know, it, it's like he shakes guys so much and he he's such a creative shot maker and taker. He never he never just jumps into the body for the foul, right? He's he always has another way. And that's in one way where that creativity can hurt his game when the shot's not falling like it was last night, right? He it's very much like Steph in the sense of both Steph and Kyrie for whatever reason, they can't find a rhythm. They don't really use the foul line to get that. But then, you know, so I'm watching the game as the Nets offensive onslaught started. But then when this fool Mark Jackson called Billy Donovan a future Hall of Famer, I had to change the channel. I just I just had to take a break. I, I knew I was going to come back to the game. I had to take a break. I had to change the channel. So I flick it over to Lakers Kings and uh, the LeBron block charge call is just comical. It's fucking ridiculous. I turn it over and, and Bagley, he, he set up a lawn chair with a newspaper at the spot in the paint and somehow it was a, a block call on him when LeBron, you know, barreled into him. So I, I flip it back to, to Bulls Nets because that was the marquee matchup. You know, the funny thing though about Mark Jackson is as a coach, he's just too full of shit, right? He, we've talked about this plenty, but you know, you think about his personality back to his playing days as a pass-first point guard, and I could see how his bullshit really worked for him. 
Think about it. Pass first point guard, and then he's just a patronizing ass motherfucker, right? Full of shit. But he's feeding the ball to all these guys and and smiling and grinning and trying to, you know, just passing off the bullshit. I can see where it really worked for him as a player. But yeah, man, the game wasn't as competitive, obviously, as I think everybody hoped for. And essentially, I think what you're seeing is the Bulls are really a lesser version of the Nets. They're going to beat you with offense, right? And Vucevic is the weak link. Got outplayed by Dayron Sharp last night. Remember, I said the Bulls, they're dangerous. They're not contenders. They're dangerous. They need more depth in the front court. And you look at this matchup stylistically where, right, how, do, how does Brooklyn get beat? With teams that can take advantage of their lack of size. Chicago wasn't able to do that. Vucevic, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze in that matchup. So how does Chicago go from becoming dangerous to a contender? I jumped in the trade machine for a second here. Could they go get Robert Covington? Portland seems like they're probably the one team that is definitely going to be selling. Rocco is in the final year of his deal. You could send them Io. I know he's a fan favorite, right? But he's a nice, young, promising player. And then Jones Jr. back to Portland. Hopefully he'll play some more this year. But right, you know, Portland, they'll probably want a draft pick or something like that. I don't know. But that, that's a possibility because then now you could go small. You take Vooch off the floor. Let's just say you're playing the Nets. You take Vooch off the floor. You play Rocco at the five and you space it out. He's more switchable, right? He's, you, you can't pick on him as much if, if both teams have decided to play small. If you really want to go all in, though, this is the trade that I like. You send Patrick Williams and Kobe White to San Antonio for Jakob Pertle and Devin Vassell. Maybe you get a, a future first pick back, right? You're, I mean, that's a lot of capital. You know, Patrick Williams, Kobe White, two top 10 picks. Um, but I think that that move, you get a young 3 and D wing in Vassell who's very nice, and then the Bulls get that rim protection. They get that physicality and that size that they're lacking. And then if you're San Antonio... You know, you get your Kawhi project in Patrick Williams, and then Kobe White would allow them to not have to pay Walker or, or Forbes. They've got a couple of those guards on, you know, on their contracts coming up. Just a thought with this trade deadline looming because Chicago, that was a beat down where it's like, all right, back to the drawing board. Like maybe we're not quite the contenders we thought we were, but we knew that. We knew they weren't true contenders yet. They're a piece away. I guess I'll give my take on this Devin Booker mascot thing up in Toronto so for those of you that missed it Toronto does not have fans anymore they're playing in an empty arena up there the Raptors man Nick Nurse these guys have to feel like they have just got a raw deal right because last year they got to go play in Florida which so they had no home games and now they're the only team with no crowd they're shit it, the shit isn't fair right it's just it isn't so Booker's on the foul line to put the game away and there's no one in the arena and the mascot is is waving and doing all sorts of shit under the basket. And Booker complains. Booker is like, hey, get him out of here. He's distracting me. And I get it. In that environment with no one there for one dude in a dinosaur costume to be doing shit is way more distracting than even 15,000 people clapping and waving and stuff. Because that, that you, it's much easier to tune that out, right? When it's one person, I get it. I get why that environment may be annoying. Um... At the same time, do you remember that footage a couple summers ago where Booker did the same thing when they were doubling him in summer pickup ball? It became a little thing on the internet, right? And everybody was like, well, 
you know, KD, Kobe would have never, right? And and that's the thing. Like if Book wants to truly carry that Mamba mentality and that torch, he's got to be more stoic. Book's tough. I don't think anyone would accuse Devin Booker of being a soft basketball player. But you can't show signs of weakness like that if you truly want to be an alpha predator. Let's jump back to that Lakers-Kings game because I tuned back into the end of that once the blowout was on in Chicago. And LeBron, once again, is just getting away with murder, man. He's, he racked Bagley across the arms and there's just no call. It's so funny because the Lakers telecast, they don't show the replays on possible LeBron fouls because they know, right? It's like a Trump campaign. Don't ask, don't tell. They, they're just like, oh, hell of a play by LeBron. You're like, let's see it again. They don't even show it to you. It's hilarious. But... The Kings come back from down 15 to take the lead in Sacramento. They're down four. There's like a minute to go. Russ has the ball, and he takes an out-of-rhythm three on a night where he was two of 15. Kings come back down, and it's Metu with the dagger. And the Kings and Lakers, they've had a spicy regular season matchup here. They've played all four games and split it 2-2, a lot of overtime games. And I think the biggest takeaway is these teams seem to be evenly matched, right? Like, that's the crazy thing. The other news on the trade front is apparently this Bowl Bowl trade has been canceled. Bowl Bowl showed up in Detroit and could not clear his physical. Denver's trying to do some sneaky shit, right? You know, that's that's a bad look for, for the Nuggets when you talk about trades. You saw what happened with Michael Porter Jr. I don't even want to open that can of worms, but uh, maybe they can claim uh, ignorance to it, right? But it looks like they tried to trade Detroit damaged goods, so that trade is officially off. Let me get to a quick mailbag question here. My guy Matt had asked me on Twitter, how much better is Wiggins than 2016 Harrison Barnes. I think the easier way to answer this is what Barnes was better at. And that was guarding up, right? What what the Warriors loved about Barnes was he could guard up and play the four and the five spot. He was speaking of this Memphis rivalry, remember grit and grind Grizzlies with Gasol and Zebo. Barnes was a huge part of trying to deal with that front line and that size and strength. So defensively, they're different, right? But they're both good. I think that Wiggins defensively holds more value in today's game because you put him on lead ball handlers, right? You couldn't put Barnes on a lead ball handler, but he, you could put him on a center. I think Wiggins' defensive value is more important in today's game. I'd give Barnes the edge rebounding, even though the numbers may not suggest that. But that could also be in part because they asked him to play in the paint and play against bigger guys. And then offensively, you know, they're both mediocre free throw shooters. I think Andrew is a better shot creator. He's better finishing at the rim. I'll just say Andrew's the more dynamic offensive player. Right now, current day Barnes, who is just now kind of a traditional power forward, that kind of changes the conversation a little bit, at least offensively. But overall, they're very similar in the sense that they're a good soldier. You understand they're not an alpha. They're not a takeover guy. You put them in a role. You understand their limitations, and you also understand that they're going to come with the same consistent effort and attitude game in and game out. And there's a value to that depending on how the rest of your roster is constructed. There are teams that may value Barnes over Wiggins because they don't have the size, right? Or vice versa. So 
the what's around them also determines their actual value because overall they're similar in mindset and skill level. Wiggins being the superior talent. You hear that? You hear that? That's the Warriors' cheeks last night in Milwaukee. Damn. Hey, sometimes it be like that, man. You had Bobby Portis out there looking like prime Rasheed Wallace. You're undermanned. You're on the road. Milwaukee clearly wanted to make a statement. They haven't been getting the respect that they deserve as the defending champs. And okay, fine, right? But if you do want to play a little NBA math, it does look bad on Steph's MVP campaign, right? He went toe-to-toe with Giannis, got dominated, and by definition, Giannis is probably the MVP, objectively speaking. I don't know how anybody could be objective, right? It's such a subjective vote. But objectively speaking, Giannis just kind of put it on the Warriors last night and made a statement, right? You know, watching him last night, it seems like he is mastering that hang rhythm into the mid-range jumper. We'll, we'll highlight it in the breakdown today, that little hang and then pull. The interesting thing is he uses the same rhythm with his back to the basket as well. It's it's pretty unique. Now, if he could just find a way to use that rhythm at the free throw line, right? But he, he, he's found something with that, especially in the mid-range. Um, yeah, man. It's almost better, though, when you consider it's the first game of a back-to-back against Chicago. You know, you heard Kerr, you heard Steph post-game. There is no panic. Everybody goes through these rough stretches. And and they're right. You know, you looked at this road trip, and then you figure Draymond's not on it, and now you're implementing Clay back in. It was a recipe for something like this to happen. To be honest with you, I am a little concerned with Clay's psyche in the sense of, he comes back, and now we're getting crushed right after he sat and watched us get off to such a hot start. That sucks, right? But, you know, we looked old out there last night. We looked old against Memphis, and we looked old last night in Milwaukee. The trade deadline on deck. Now, I think one other interesting aspect of the game was it's a 30-point game, right? It was a 30-point lead the entire game. Giannis checks back in with like six minutes to go. Some of you may say, hey, well, you know, he wanted the triple-double. Me and my tinfoil cap thinks it might have had a little more to do with young Jonathan Kaminga in there. And maybe, just maybe, he wanted to establish his dominance against young Kaminga before it was too late, right? No, I'm I'm talking shit. You know, but you know what I really thought it was? Uh, post-game, Steph and Giannis always have a lot of love for each other. Giannis was really short with Steph. He dapped him, and then he turned around. And I think what you saw, there was a different type of energy from Milwaukee in this game, them being the defending champs, as well as the Warriors now once again being contenders from the Western Conference. There was something extra. Milwaukee wanted to make a statement understanding, hey, we may see these guys in June. And I think that's why Giannis was in there late, continuing to put it on us. We will talk Jonathan Kaminga his garbage time minutes, as well as some of the James Wiseman news in today's patron breakdown. If you're looking for more hoops content, head over to basketballgods.net. We've got two new podcasts, Dropping Dimes and Scoring Buckets, Hustle is a Skill, along with a bunch of other video features on the site now. This is The Hezzy, brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out, y'all. 
do, baby. Yeah. But I wanted to do hood stuff for my friend. Well, you're sorry, hugging me. It doesn't matter what your name is. Smoking on your top five.